Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Street tracks or permanent circuits? Which one is the right one for V8 supercars now? We will do our absolute utmost to support new developers and new permanent circuits. We look at all that and more today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lowndes, Winkup or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at nobrac.com.au. Brad Jones and Roland Dane have spoken to the V8 Insiders about the possibility of racing on the streets of Geelong. I'd, look, I'd love to see a race somewhere like uh, Geelong or whatever, but what I'd really like to see is that uh, a couple of new permanent circuits uh, in Australia. I mean, that's really... Uh, there's, there's space for... There's more than enough space in this country for three or four more um, good permanent circuits that can be... Uh, useful not only to us but to the um, to the whole of the community, whether it's for club racing, whether it's track days, corporate activities, etc. And the street circuits are expensive. They're expensive. They're challenging, etc. Ultimately, the sport will uh, the sport will survive or die on the back of permanent circuits, and uh, and. I'm pleased to see that the business as a whole is putting uh, the right amount of emphasis, I believe, into trying to <laughs> um, trying to assist with pushing any proposals there are out there to to create either improve existing or to create new permanent circuits. Well, great! Yeah, it's always great to get new events, new circuits, breed a bit of new blood into the business. You know, it's no secret we've been through pretty tough times the last couple of years. Everyone has. So um, um, I think it'd be great to have a race at Geelong. How how can the series uh, help that along? Uh, Financially, it's it's not like Sydney where you decided to put your hard-earned money into making that happen. Well, we didn't put. Well, yeah, okay. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it, the, the, how it starts is they. Um, They'll apply to V8 Supercars, and V8 Supercars will work it out, and then at, at a point it will come to the board. You'd obviously be in favour of it? Oh, absolutely. As I said, the more more circuits we get, the better. If you had a choice between Geelong and a brand-new road circuit, Bacchus Marsh or something, what's the better option? 
Well, honestly, if it was a brand new road circuit and another marquee street event, I'd probably go for both. No, you had one or the other. You Why? Had, you had to support one or the other. Well, because the government who's going to put the money into one or the other is going to put it in whichever one you choose. Yeah, well, the government will probably make that decision, not me. My personal opinion is um, it would. De- it's hard to say because it would depend on, you know, is, is, is the event at Bacchus Marsh, that circuit, does it look like Oran Park? Does it look like Eastern Creek? Does it look like Bathurst? I mean, there's so many things that contribute to a point of making a decision. Where's a Geelong race? If that's in the middle of town, yeah, it's going to attract a lot of people. All those sort of things that need to be taken into consideration before you make a decision like that. So, you know, probably Geelong, but the, the racer in me would say Bacchus Marsh. In Perth, David Reynolds told the VAD Insiders that he's frustrated this year, even though FPR is starting to find some form. Uh, yeah, the, the Pepsi Max crew are doing a fantastic job, but, you know, on our side of the garage, you know, we need to work on a few things. Uh, definitely qualifying is one of our weak points. But in the races, we seem to have good race cars. Like, you know, I started 10th and I was sort of hovering around like the... 5th, 6th mark and um, but you know we had a little drama in the pit stop they short filled my last pit stop so they instead of putting 8 seconds instead of putting 18 seconds in sorry they put in 8 seconds so it changed our strategy to the 3 stopper which is ultimately probably the slowest one and yeah that sucks for me because you know I think we could have been in the top 5 easy Dragon Motorsport have confirmed that they will be putting in an application for a wild card They've come to agreements to use a former Gary Rogers Motorsport Holden VF and will be hoping to have a single car entry at Bathurst, the target for the team. Currently on their Facebook page, they're asking if there's any V8 supercar engineers or even drivers that might want to help them out in their endeavours. And finally, the latest edition of VRX magazine is on sale. This issue looks at the top 50 drivers of the V8 supercar era and has all the exclusive columnists and a lot more. It's on sale in stores now, online, and check out the great new VRX app at vrx.com.au. On this week's roundtable, Chad Nalen and Andrew Hawkins will join me to look at Well, a whole bunch of topics, including the testing in Queensland. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at nobrac.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lounge, Wink Up or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. 
The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Speed TV, that's Channel 512, AJ Hawkins. Good evening, AJ. Afternoon, Craig. How are you going? I'm very well, as I'm sure is the voice of the V8 Supercars, Chad Nalen. Hello, Craig. What's happening, buddy? Well, we're all getting set for some warmer weather. Well, anyway, those of us who are in the southern states, because we're heading to Darwin fairly soon, and if last year's Darwin race is anything like... uh, if this year's Darwin's race is anything like last year's, it's going to be an absolute cracker. Before we get to Darwin, though, Chad, a number of teams doing testing last week, and I guess the, the biggest story was Alex Davison. He gets into the Erebus car and uh, throws it off the end of the straight. <laughs> oh, you've got to feel for Alex. He's gone so long without having a drive, and he would have been really looking forward to getting behind the wheel of that Erebus Mercedes because it's been probably the longest time that he spent outside of a racing car. So for him to just get in there and then to have that happen, and it's your brother's car, it's not yours to be crashing, obviously not his fault at all. Uh, and one of the scariest places you could possibly crash, I reckon, going around the country. It might not seem like a scary racetrack you are, but uh, you can have a very nasty shunt there. Of course, we were you know, horribly reminded of that last year. So I'm just glad that Alex was able to get out of the car Sucks, obviously, for him not getting any time in the, you know, behind the seat before the Enduros kick off. But I'm just, you know, the, the, the positives are the car came out of it okay. Just got to, you know, cut it from the front of the firewall onwards, and then thankfully he got out of okay, out of the whole thing okay. But yeah, definitely not the way that they want to get their testing underway. Everybody else was raving about how much success their testing brought in and how much they gained. But for uh, for the two. Davison brothers, I guess there was not much to be gained from that one. Yeah, although Dick Trickle always told me you change the front clip <laughs> on a car and you pick up about uh, uh, at least a couple of tenths. So hopefully that means that the car will be even quicker. Uh, for AJ, uh, Red Red Bull, they're making ground and uh, Stephen Richards is definitely settling into that team. Absolutely. You know, um, he's uh, settling quite well and uh, I think it's a good fit. For him, and look, they've been working on a few of their their issues that they've had this year, and um, I'm sure that whatever they have, te- whatever they've tested and found, will be uh, make those things a rocket ship come Darwin. Yeah, it's it's one of those teams that, although they're having a disappointing, and you put that in inverted commas, year, Chad, they're, they're still racking up podiums. They're still in the hunt. Craig Lowndes is leading. Uh, no, he's not. He's uh, second in the championship. Well, he was leading, you know, quite recently. Um, it was just disappointing that he, you know, couldn't quite hold on to that lead by the time they got into Perth. But, you know, everybody goes on about how much of a bad year it's been. And yes, you know, Jamie's only got, I think, what, the one podium out of his last 10 starts. But he's been there or thereabouts. And qualifying speed's been there, even in New Zealand. You know, it would have been a great race had he not had that power steering issue. And he would have won that first race. Maybe Jason could have caught him towards the end of it. Um, just, you know, Winton and... Perth were the two real, I guess you'd call shockers as far as Jamie's standards go. But even then, in Perth, he was qualifying pretty close to the front of the field. It's just amazing, like in Tasmania, everybody was shaking their head about how good you know, a year Red Bull was going to have and that it was going to be another you know, wink-up fest. Um, you know, the, you know, the <laughs> clean-sweeping, pretty much the front row for every race in Tasmania, and then it's kind of gone a bit awry from there. But 
you know, this testing, they said, you know, that, that classic term, we didn't quite find any silver bullet, but they just made a lot of little 1% changes here and there and found a couple of things. The biggest thing that they'll find is tyre life, and that's been the biggest thing that has helped FPR and especially Frosty get to the front this year is how good they have been with tyres. So I think that's what their, their number one priority was, and by the sounds of it, they managed to make some pretty good gains in that area. Mm. And, of course, uh, when you think about down in Melbourne last week, uh, Rusty French, co-owner of FPR, <laughs> AJ, or Chad, he uh, jumps into the car, hasn't driven a car since, what, the 90s, and uh, goes out there and cuts a few laps and has a, has a ball, as you do when you own the team. Well, why wouldn't you have a go? I'm sure we, if we all owned a, owned a team, we'd have a, a couple of balls around as well. And, um, you know, I, I'm just waiting for the day that we get Betty behind the wheel for a go of one of the Mercedes <laughs> ones instead of sitting in the passenger seat. That would make my year. I think if anyone can organise that next year, it'll be Speed TV. Well, hopefully. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how we go. <laughs> Hey, Dunlop's car's on track uh, down there at Winton particularly and interesting news that uh, the Facebook page of Dragon Motorsport is saying, yep, we are going to uh, we are going to put ourselves in for a wild card at the Pertec Enduro Cup. So I guess for Tim Macro and Kristen Limbom, Chad, that's going to be a, a big step and a, a thrilling step for them. Yeah, I mean, it's great news for Christian Lindbaum. He's been kind of nicking away there for a long time and definitely deserves to be, you know, on the Dunlop grid especially, uh, to have a shot at Bathurst. You know, still waiting to see what the confirmed driver lineup will be there, but he's definitely one of the front runners, along with Tim Macro, you'd assume, the two guys from Dragon Motorsport and Dragon Racing, to hop into that seat. Um, so, you know, the, the, the car that they've rocked up with to the Dunlop series was, you know, really tough work for Tim Macro at Winton. He was pushing all weekend with horrible brake issues we know how talented he is in an open wheeler so when they actually get some good gear off the back of gary rogers motorsport the cars they were campaigning last year i think that they might actually be a force and christian limbon was actually very close to ending up on the grid last year at bathurst that weekend he was kind of nipping around and there was one team in particular that he looked like he might be getting a last minute drive with so it'd be interesting to see how he does go especially with some good gear that uh, will be provided by gary rogers and the guys there now, uh, if I can do my best, uh, Mark Robinson here. We were talking uh, off air before AJ, and uh, we did say we would like to see a few more cars on the grid at Bathurst. Absolutely, and I, and I, I think I brought the view that um, I would like to see the entire Dunlop field, you know, take over the uh, the great race and have both categories fighting for the same race. I'm not sure that's uh, quite feasibly possible, but it would be good to have a few. Definitely have a few of the Dunlop teams competing in the in the main game for come Bathurst. If you could get the thirty car grid on the field from the main uh, from the Dunlop series, the twenty five main game, Chad, you're covering fifty five cars for a thousand kilometres. That that would be a bit of a, a uh, well, a heck of a feast. Yeah, hundred and ten names to remember. That'd be pretty crazy, wouldn't it? Um, I think the main problem with it is the Dunlop series drivers are too important to be used, uh, you know, alongside the main game guys. So that's the biggest thing that would probably hold it back. Uh, I'd love to see it happen. Maybe not the whole grid, but how cool would it be if that if you put a race on the Friday or Saturday for Dunlop Series and the top 10 guys or top 15 guys or whatever it might be qualified for the main race? It would be absolutely on. A bit of speedway style transfer racing to make the main game race on Sunday would be awesome, but probably unfeasible. Um, you know, they've said that they'd love some Dunlop Series teams to join Bathurst this year, but they'll have to go and find 
current model cars, which is exactly what the guys at Dragon have done. So the problem is there aren't really that many spare cars and spare chassis getting around with these teams to be to begin with. So it's a bit of a tough ask for these Dunlop teams to show up and find current model cars. I'd love to see the older cars involved. I think everybody would. It kind of goes back to the old days of having different classes on the grid at Bathurst. So it's definitely worth looking at. The fans want to see it. So, you know, it's definitely worth looking at. But whether or not they'd ever do it, you know, I doubt it. Mm. Of course, there is a, a genuine... There's a genuine number of cars out there. I think you could safely say four, a spare car at FPR. You've got two Gary Rogers Motorsport Holdens that uh, could be wheeled out. And, of course, you've got a spare car up there at Red Bull. AJ, that's that's sort of the four that you think would make it. And then, uh, of course, there's I think there's another one at Lucas Dumbrell uh, has that could be pulled out as well, which would make five. And I don't think anyone's got any more spare chassis after that. Um, well, don't forget that Dick Johnson Racing has the spare chassis that uh, was crushed a couple of rounds ago. So uh, the one that, that David Wall put into the wall at mm. Pukatoe, I think, is a spare for them. So there's actually a few floating around. So, you know, with the right deals in place, we could actually see that 25, you know, 12 up at least another 7 or 8. Yeah, well, if, as Tim Edwards said on the show a few weeks ago, that, you know, if you got the grid to 30, 32, uh, he, he sort of feels that, you would get rid of a lot of the naysayers saying 25 is not enough. Also, a valid point, AJ, is if you have 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, unless you've got a, a deal like the Xbox deal last year, you, how much coverage are you going to get for, without being rude, a couple of the mid-pack Dunlop series runners moving up to the main game? Well, that's an interesting point. You know, I mean, up and down the field, you know, there's, a, there's different levels of coverage. Probably not a lot unless they've been it. But look, unless they, you know, spring a surprise, I mean, who knows? Anything can about, anything can happen at Bathurst. We've seen that time and time again. So, you know, anything's possible. Chad? Yeah, I mean, roll the dice of strategy. You never know where you'll end up, even if it's just to lead a few laps, you know, early in the race or not coming in off a safety car to take control of a few laps at the front of the field, something like that to try and get the car to the front. I mean, we saw it with the Xbox car last year. That did have a great run, and unfortunately they didn't quite stretch it to the end, but they were certainly towards the front, and they managed to bring it home in a pretty respectable spot, I think. But, I, you know, I think there's definitely worth in making it happen. Um, and like we just pointed out, there are a few chassis getting around. There's also one at Techno as well, because they're just a one-car team now as well. So there are a few cars getting around. And at the end of the day, it's a six- to seven-hour race. You're going to get TV coverage out of it somewhere, and there's over a million viewers watching it, so there's definitely worth in doing it. Obviously, it's an incredibly expensive process to do. Yeah, and of course, unlike the Indy 500 and uh, next year's Bathurst 12-hour, which I'm sure will be live on speed, uh, and like that, where there's a big check of prize money up for the winner, of course, Viet Supercars don't have that pot of gold at the end of the uh, of the rainbow there at, at Bathurst or any of the other races because it is a shared pool on funds. So um, it's it sort of... It takes away from, well, we can just go and enter a car and get a big pot of money for it uh, because that's not how it works. You've got to get the big pot of money up front and then spend it to be in the race. Well, that's right. I mean, it's uh, it's one of these things. I mean, it'd be good for, for Bathurst to, you know, to actually have some decent prize money on offer for, um, you know, if there was a big major sponsor to come on board who wanted to, you know, put a, get a big uh, check out for them, I'm sure that would uh, create a, a fair bit of interest and... Um, you know, make the race a little bit more interesting. Yeah, 
indeed. We need to take a break here on the Van Insiders. Plenty more when we return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lounge, Wink Up or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Chad Nalen joining AJ Hawkins and Craig Gravel as we... Well, we start to look at a few other topics that uh, have been, well, out there for a little while. Dave Stewart's been appointed the technical director, and I've got to say, this move has been so generally well-received. AJ, what's been your take on the uh, response? I think this is a great move by V8 Supercars. Dave Stewart is a very, very, very good operator, and um, one of the, I think, one of the best in the business, and I think it's a really strong signing by V8 not sure how that's going to go leaving Erebus and how Erebus are going to go and I know they've got a couple of people who are going to cover that role but I think a very 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 good signing mm. Chad, it, he's a guy that you've only just got to know Yeah, well I'm still very new to the V8 world uh, and uh, so I haven't had too much to do with Erebus as a team I mean, more so than any other team to be honest but I think just the important thing about creating this role is it actually frees up Damien White to focused on, you know, some stuff that he shouldn't be getting tied down with over the weekend. You know, Winton were doing all these motor parity tests and Damien has to cast such a stern eye over everything that's happening there when he really has other other things to be focusing on throughout the weekend. So he can focus on the motorsport department of things. Now David Stewart can focus on, you know, the parity and all these things that are taking a lot more time than people probably thought would be happening. And especially with the ideas of, you know, more manufacturers getting involved, that's going to mean a closer scrutiny on more parity and all these things that are going to have to be, you know, taken a very close look to. So I think to put someone of his experience was an obvious one. Apparently they had over a dozen candidates. I'd love to know who else was actually applying for a role like that in Virtue because especially when they said that some of them were international. So he's done well to get the job in the first place, and I think it definitely frees up Damien White now to focus on his role at the actual racetrack and not worrying too much about, you know, who's got a bit more aero in this department or whose engine you know, has the best centre of gravity and all this stuff that he's getting tied down with at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, definitely going to uh, allow that part of the business to uh, to run independently of operations, if you like. Guys, interesting thing we've seen this year with the, particularly the Super Sprint format, it, it's such a hectic on-track schedule this year. It's certainly affecting how teams and drivers are being available for the corporate experience, which, of course, pays the bills for the teams, and also allowing the fans access to the drivers in the same way that they have come to expect it over the years. Chad, nothing wrong with the Super Sprint format. It's been very good and it's been very uh, beneficial in saying this is what a weekend that's called Super Sprint does. 
But do you think there's still got to be some tweaking to uh, provide the corporate and the uh, fan experience for those who only come along to one of the two slash three days of uh, supercar events? Um, well, I guess it depends kind of what day you're looking at here now. I mean, first of all, I love the Super Sprint format. I think it's a great idea. Works beautifully for television, which is the most important thing. But, I mean, Friday, three 20-minute sessions, I wouldn't call that overly hectic. And then Saturday, okay, yes, you've got the uh, two qualifying sessions, usually practice, and then two 100K races. Definitely the Saturday means that the drivers are quite busy and no time to, you know, really do any media commitments or corporate commitments. Um, and definitely, you know, autograph signings, that kind of stuff. But you see a little bit of it happening at the back of the garages. Sunday, there's that gaping hole between qualifying and the race, which can be, you know, upwards of two hours. Wait until you get to Darwin and it's kind of, you find yourself looking for something to do almost in between qualifying and the race on Sunday. So definitely think there's a chunk of time for it on Sunday, but definitely Saturday's the day where they're going to be quite much, you know, pretty much in a lockdown. Yeah, AJ, do you see the balance needing to be uh, just tweaked a bit? Oh, look, with everything, you know, there's always, you know, slight improvements you can make. I think, it, you know, I mean, it, it fits in well with Channel Seven schedule, so, um, you know, I think it kind of works for TV at the moment. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future, but, you know, it works for the moment. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a shame that the, uh, you know, it is so jam-packed, so some of the fans get to miss out on that experience with the drivers, but they are there throughout the, you know, throughout the rest of the day, and there are, bigger gaps in between where normally they'd be racing and, and doing debriefs and stuff. So it, it's just moved around slightly. I guess the real hectic part is that Saturday, as you said, Chad, and mm. that's where, I guess, if people are only going to one of the two days, remembering that Friday is, is a work day, which many people can't get to, then if you're going to the Saturday, you're going to see probably a better day's racing but you're not going to get the fan experience as much as what you would on the Sunday. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, actually. My folks came to watch in Perth at the Perth 400, and I was actually hinting to them to come to the Saturday because I feel like you get a bit more value for money, personally, on the Saturday with you know two qualifying sessions, so there's double the excitement there, and then you get the two races on uh, on the Saturday. I mean, they both go for 200Ks, essentially. But I do think you, know, you get two race starts, you get two finishes, you get two trophies handed out, all that kind of stuff where the Sunday race, you get a bit more strategy and pit stops, and then, of course, you get the time to actually walk around and see a few things at the track, maybe get an autograph or a photo with drivers that you like. Um, but you know what? It's all pretty much null and void now because we're nearly at the, uh, the season of endurance, as Chris Jewell would say. And uh, when we get into that, we'll only have a couple of super sprint rounds left, and who knows, next year with the changed TV deal, it could completely throw up a different format all, all the same. Mm. I think the best thing to do with the, the week, with the weekend is actually buy a weekend pass across all three days. Then you guarantee good, good value for money across everything. Yes, nicely Perfect. done. And <laughs> <laughs> nicely done. Talking about uh, the events, and of course the, the events have built up a lot more than just being on the racetrack, although that's primarily what people are coming for. But particularly in Merchandise Alley, it's, it's quite interesting. And I, I remember saying to you, Chad, in uh, Tasmania when you were doing, I, I don't know, I, I think they were making you even commentate on crickets, you know, how many crickets were chirping at one time. You were just doing so <laughs> much work that weekend. Um, I, I, every time the super screen was on, you were interviewing someone or there was a canned piece that you'd done the day before and it was a it was an awesome effort but when we talk <laughs> yeah. merchandise alley do the v supercar teams 
get the best location or is there a bit of a conflict there between, you know, vendors who are paying money to be there and the teams who own the series and, and are trying to get additional sales through merchandise? Yeah, I mean, all that, that all goes down to who's promoting the event. I mean, in WA, it's the WA Sporting Car Club, you know, and instead of it being an actual V8 supercar promoted event like a Townsville or a Bathurst is. So it comes down to the promoter's choice, I guess, to use that old term. I think um, you'd be mad if you didn't put it in the best spot possible. There's nothing really from a track point of view that they'd be looking to pedal too much. So, you know, thinking around the tracks that I've been to so far, so the merchandise is typically in a pretty good position. You know, you'd want it somewhere where team or where the public obviously don't have to go buying the paddock pass to get to it, so anyone who buys you know, a general admin ticket can get to it. Uh, and from what I can see, the merchandise sales this year have been great. Volvo have been raving about how much you know, gear they've been peddling so far this year. And you've got to say, motorsport fans in general, and especially V8 Supercar fans, would have to be some of the most brand-loyal people and sports fans on earth. Like, how many... I, I, I support, you know, cricket, and I support footy and motorsport, and my motorsport uh, apparel is almost flowing out of my wardrobe, and I think I've got one footy shirt, and I, I don't think I've got any cricket stuff. And so for whatever reason, motorsport fans just seem to pump it when it comes to buying hoodies and shirts and hats. So I think it doesn't matter where you put it. You could put it, you know, three suburbs away, and people will still queue up to go buy Red Bull Racing gear. So <laughs> I, I think... Scafey famously said, AJ, at one stage, why is it every time you see someone being arrested, they're wearing a HRT, you know, hoodie <laughs> or T-shirt? Uh, and that, that's an interesting question. I think we'll leave that for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> but, of, of course, uh, the merchandise comes back to the hectic schedule too. If the corporate stuff is a bit too far away from the paddock, as as you mentioned, you want it in the GA, but if it starts getting too far away from the paddock, when you are getting squeezed for time, it makes it difficult for the drivers to get there and back. Yeah, it looks like the the main game at the moment has been to do autograph sessions behind the garages, and the queues behind the garages have been amazing. Probably that in Tasmania, it was huge. They actually had to cut off the queues at one point and have you know people from the teams say enough's enough kind of thing because the people were queuing up for nearly a K to get Lounsey's autograph, which comes as no surprise, and that queue for Scotty's is getting bigger and bigger. But that's actually not a bad way, you know, pushing that, uh, you know, the upgrade from a general admin ticket to a paddock pass. But I think most of the teams put in a little bit of effort to make sure their drivers get out to their merchandise area to try and sign a few hats and get a few photos. Mm. AJ? I was going to ask Craig how... uh, I was going to ask Chad how long the, um, the line was for his autograph. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my, the Instagram selfies have been uh, have been going off this year. I think uh, the other day I had a queue and it had about zero people in it, and it's been steady around that zero mark for most of the year so far. <laughs> oh, gratuitous plug time <laughs> now, guys, because next weekend, although it's not V8 Supercars, it's something that's close to every motorsport fan's heart, and that is Speed's coverage of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Exactly, and it's uh, you know live in HD, and of course you know we've um, it, it does it takes up the full twenty four hours. I think it's actually doing twenty five hours this year, so um, it's, the coverage is going to be uh, the first class. All right, and Chad, you were busy this weekend up there at the Winter Nationals, and of course Speed Week will carry all the action there. Yeah, yeah, well, we're up there doing the Winters, which is uh, typically a pretty big event. We actually had Shane Van Gisbergen come out. On the Saturday, I think it was, on qualifying day, that was a Lucas Oils promo, obviously, with them and their involvement with Techno. He came out to sit in 
Gary Phillips top, top alcohol funny car and they fired the car up and gave it a big rattle. So that was pretty cool for him. And we put him on the start line to get some nitro tears going and all that sort of stuff. So that'll be up on Speed Week, which is celebrating over 20 years now, I think, over a 1,000 episodes, which is an amazing effort when you think about it. Um, so good on them, and they're doing the best they can to cover all the Andrew action. We did have, you know, getting off topic slightly, but we did have a nasty crash up there on the weekend for Ben Bray, and obviously the Brays are a regular, you know, attraction to a lot of V8 supercar events, Darwin, Bathurst, Gold Coast doing burnouts and stuff like that. So, you know, Benny's pretty banged up in hospital right now, so if anybody gets a chance to wish him well on Twitter or on Facebook, you know, he'd really love that. Yeah, our thoughts go out to him because it was a, an amazingly tough spill, and we were just glad to see that he got out of the car all right. Yeah, it's going to be a long road to recovery. I mean, he's got you know a lot of broken bones and some pretty important ones too. So hopefully uh, he goes better. And, you know, keeping it with the Japanese brands, hopefully Toyota can claim a big win this weekend at uh, Circuit de la Sarf because I've been a long-time Toyota supporter and I think this is finally going to be their year. <laughs> All right, it will be an interesting one. AJ, thanks very much for joining us once again here on the V8 Insiders. Craig, always a pleasure. Chad, looking forward to catching up with you too up there at Darwin. Yeah, mate, bring the sunshine. I'll, I'll be the one wearing my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> the white flag lap is up next here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Would you like to own a V8 supercar just like Lounge, Wink Up or Frosty? Maybe historic Australian muscle cars are more your thing. Well, stop dreaming and go to motorfocus.com.au. We have over 2,000 highly detailed models in stock ready to mail. Get your models online at motorfocus.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we speak to Dave Stewart, who is currently finishing up with Erebus before moving to the role of V8 Supercars Technical Director, about the moves that are afoot to return the series overseas, particularly to the cost implications of getting promoters to underwrite the transportation costs. So how much, in a quantity sense... Can teams cut from their freight? Dave, a lot of talk about going overseas again and one of the uh, cost impediments to what we've seen in the Middle East, America and of course to New Zealand is the the cost of freighting and getting all the nuts and bolts over to where you want to race. How much, in a quantity sense, can you cut down when you have to take spare parts and, uh, and all the things that keep you running over the course of a race weekend? Yeah, look, that's a really difficult question. It's like saying how long's a, a piece of string, you know. Um, perfect world situation or scenario, you don't get any damage, you don't have any mechanical failures and you don't do an engine, uh, you can get away with minimal. You know, uh, you could, people can always say, oh, well, you just put toolboxes and uh, a, a few light spares in and go racing, but you've got to cover yourself for all eventualities. And as we've seen when we've been racing overseas, uh, you know, you can sustain some quite serious damage when we were at Bahrain you know, quite a few cars really seriously damaged there, Abu Dhabi the same uh, Circuit of America's also so you need to be able to carry those spares uh, and it's difficult to say what you're going to leave behind you know you need, obviously as a show we want to put on a good show and, uh, and provide entertainment for, for those countries that we're going to so you can't go there with 
what we've got now, 25 cars, and if it goes up or down from there, and then end up with 10 for the last race. So there's a bit of commonality in the field with COTF, or Car of the Future, sorry. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of commonality there with spares, but then, you know, if you if you have a run of that and, and uh, we're drawing from a common pool and you're the last car, what do you do? So it's, it's a very difficult question. It's not one that's easily solved. Does what race format they uh, choose to have, if, for argument's sake, if they decided to say we're going to have a couple of 20-lap qualifying races and then a big, long feature race, would that make a big difference? Or if they just said we're going to have one feature race like a Grand Prix event, uh, would that then allow you to reduce? Because I, I think at Hamilton where you, you had teams going to the Ford and Holden dealers just to get mirrors. Exactly. You know, uh, well, say, take Hamilton for argument's sake. There's two 200-kilometre races or 250. I can't remember what they were. Now, it's only two years ago, but it's gone. Um, you know, you can do a, a serious amount of damage there. And like you say, you've got teams going to local local dealers to get mirrors so certainly the format would play a big role in how much you took if we were only going over there for as you've suggested maybe two 20 lap qualifying races and a, and, a, and a main feature race then you could probably cut down on what you have to take or if we were going over there for practice qualifying and one long race 300 kilometers or whatever it might be for sure you can cut down on what you need to take there if they came back to you and said all right you have one container per car but now it's going to be one container per two cars. What would you then have to go back and say, well, we could only race in this way? Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, that is a, a, a massive amount of freight that we can't take. You know, a big container is three and a half tonne. The half containers are 1750. So, you know, you're, you're basically, you're, you're not taking three and a half thousand kilos of equipment with you. So... I think certainly they would have to alter the, the structure of the race. Yeah. And would you you'd then be pushing for, here's the freight we can take, and the teams would then go back, well, here's as far as we can go? Yeah, pretty much. You know, Like you say, look at our cars after today's racing here, and uh, there's, there's minimal body damage, and you'd run them again tomorrow exactly the same as they are. But you, know, you only need to get somebody to rub you up, and you do a front guard, front door, rear door, rear guard, front bar and rear bar, you know, that's a lot of freight. Is it also a case that we see in our racing today that every time the cars go on the track, they have to be perfect? Ten years ago, you got a donut in the door in Friday practice, you had a donut in the door Sunday morning at the start of that race. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the corporate commercial partners of all the teams in pit lane want more and more for their dollar. They want the cars looking pristine every time they go out. We as race teams want to be as professional as we can possibly be, so we want the cars to be pristine. You know, we're, we're taking our show on the road. If we're making the effort to go overseas and take our show on the road, we want it to be the best show that they've seen. So roll out Sunday morning, you've got a broken headlight, a donut down the door, it just doesn't look good, doesn't look good for your team, for your sponsor or the category. That's all we have time for on this week's show. As the chicken flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.